Well, good morning, church. Well, that was sort of pathetic. We'll try that again. Good morning, church. There we go. It is a good morning. Um, Before we dig into God's Word, I am going to address the elephant in the room. Okay? That's the whole mask thing. And as you know, the state of Ohio, this past Thursday, passed a mandate saying that uh, all indoor activities and uh, so forth and so on, we are supposed to be wearing masks. And like you and like many of you, I've wrestled with this. Okay, so today you're going to hear me be very transparent with my own personal feelings, my own personal opinions. Okay, and then we're going to seek some truth. Um, I have an attitude and an opinion about masks, and attitude is probably the closer word, uh, not so much opinion. But I have to also prayerfully consider how I lead as your pastor, and I lead in a manner worthy of the gospel. So I need to weigh that out, too, with who I am and what I do, and uh, which means my sour attitude towards mandates with the church uh, butts heads with, with, um, with what's going on. And I have to ask myself, am I leading in a humble and servant heart? And so I put that into check. Or do I ask myself, do my freedoms cause others to stumble? And that's the last thing I want is for other people to stumble because of my freedom. So our church conference, I started praying about this, and I checked with our church conference, and our church conference kindly reminded all the pastors in our conference, let's think about this, let's consider distractions between indisputable and disputable things. Our conference director said, in my mind, indisputable matters are those that are biblically central to our Christian faith. In other words, the authority of Scripture. The fact that Jesus Christ came to this planet to die for us, to be resurrected from the dead. He is our way to salvation. He is our hope for eternal life and forgiveness. Those kind of things are indisputable. If you try to argue with me, I will argue till I'm blue in the face. I'm going to tell you God is right every day. But then there are things that are disputable, such as what kind of carpet should we have in this church? How should we dress when we come here? What kind of music should we play on Sunday morning? Oh, those are disputable. Those are all over the place. And everybody has an opinion on them. So when it comes to disputable and indisputable matters, there are some things that I will stand up here and I'll say, this is the way it's going to be. And there's other things like, as God leads, you know, as the Spirit convicts in your life, whatever it may be. And I also understand that Romans 13 reminds us to submit to our governing authorities when it comes to asking us the things that are indisputable or disputable. Which one is it? So as... Well, I looked through that, and then we talked to our elders the other night. We actually, the, we had our elders meeting before that mandate came out. And one of the things we discussed at our elders meeting was, it is so important for community to come together like this. Some people have not gathered together in six months. That's somewhat scary. And I understand, though, there are certain health issues, and it's keeping them from doing this. And it's not by their choice. And it really matters that we do all we can to provide community. Oh, I would love to have a Sunday school class opportunity for all of you. Some kind of adult education on Sunday morning. We don't have the room. And there's other things that we would love to do, small groups. So we're thinking, how can we start doing more of that? Well, and as soon as we decide we want more community, then comes the mandate that says, oh, by the way, when you're in a room with people, you need to have masks on, if you know, and so forth and so on. And I wrestled with that. And after prayer listening to our elders, listening to the church conference, and so much more, we decided as a church we're going to wear masks as mandated. 
Now listen, there are exemptions to wearing masks. There are times when you can take them off. There are people in here that you don't have to wear them for medical reasons, whatever it may be. There's a list of them. I don't have them memorized. And we are not going to stand at the door. And as you come in, if you don't have a mask, we'll say, "Mm, now which one is it that you are exempt from? We're not going to do that. Okay? I'm I'm just going to trust you. You know what's going on in your life, your health. But as a church, we are going to wear masks. So, again, just want to make sure you understand that. Um, your exemptions, whatever they are, you know what they are. Okay. I believe, uh, Pastor Paul, I think you said this. Um, you don't know I'm quoting this from you, but I think, I think you said this. We have a great congregation who has done a great job of following the procedure for Sunday morning services. I fully agree with that comment. I love this church. You guys have been fantastic in all that we have done and gone through. We have complete faith that this will flow just like everything else we've asked you to do. Email reservations, socially distanced, dismissed by sections. Again, we're doing all we can um, and, and hoping that, like the other requirements, this will be temporary. I hope and pray in three, four weeks. You won't have to worry about this. We look forward to a time when this will be in the past. We really do. I have to imagine in going through history, there were times when people looked in the past and they said, ah, when will this be done? When can we get through this? And then they look back in history and they're like, man, do you remember when they went through that? Whew. They made it. They survived. And I believe we will too. There was a passage in, in Exodus. I'll put it up on the screen for you. It said, then the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord encamped in Rephidim and there was no water for people to drink. You know, it's just amazing. God promised to take his people out of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. And here the children of Israel are in the wilderness and they camp at a place with no water. Imagine a million people, no water. What that was like. You sit there and think, why would God do that? It doesn't make sense. Why does God bring us to a place where we are uncomfortable? But it was in this dry and weary place that God brought streams of water from a rock. How cool is that? Sometimes God takes us to places that doesn't make sense so he can show us things that we can never believe that we would have ever seen. He is definitely a God to be trusted. So I was thinking, again, this really applies to Many of us today in a world of uncertainties, a lot of us who profess our faith in Jesus Christ, we're asking, why, Lord? Why, Lord, have you brought us to this place? Why, Lord, did you bring me to a place of unemployment? Why, Lord, have you brought me to a place of financial crisis? Why, Lord, have you brought me to a place of a virus? Why, Lord, have you brought me to a place where my relationship is crumbling? Why, Lord, why, Lord? As Christians, we all have these why, Lords, don't we? Why has he brought us to this place? I, I don't know, but I know in Romans eleven thirty four, the question was asked, for who has ever known the mind of the Lord? Who has become the counselor of the Lord? The answer, of course, is no one. No one can be God's counselor because he is the counselor. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out? So I was thinking about this. If he can turn a wasteland into a river, what can he do in our life? What can he do in our life? He is faithful to every situation 
to provide a way for you to know him more deeply than you've ever known him before. He is a trustworthy God who is good and does good and knows exactly what you and I need. In those moments when we're thinking, God, don't you know? And he's like, I already know. I'm taking care of this. Just trust me through this. So many of us are, we are so antsy to break free from all the mandates and the things that have been placed upon us in the last five or six months, right? We want to get back to what we were calling normalcy, right? And to be sure it is good and right as a church to gather together. So listen, church, we're going to do everything we always can to keep these doors open. If we have to wear a mask, wear a mask. If we have to take a bath and sanitizer, we'll take a bath and sanitizer, okay? If we have to wear wipes sticking out of our ears, I will do that if I have to. Because the gospel is more important than my opinion. You hear what I'm saying? It's more important that people know about Jesus Christ than they know about my opinion. And so we will always do the best we can to keep this church open and never neglect our meeting together. And I heard somebody say, every Christian should long for the day when we move from church on Zoom to church in a room. I was like, yeah, amen to that. But so let's just be patient with each other as we move along this timeline. Encourage one another. I've got more I'm going to say about this towards the end of the service, but... Understand that the the reopening process is not going to be perfect. Leadership is never going to be perfect. We are expecting perfect answers and perfect conditions in an imperfect world, and that will never happen. There's no book written on how to do this. Every leader, every pastor, every school administrator that I know, this is a first. And we're trying to do this together in the name of our Lord and do it with love. So I encourage you, my brothers and sisters. We would get through this. We will get through this. Be patient. Be patient. With that being said, turn to a book about this, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And we are in chapter 2. Again, if you don't know where it is, good luck. No. If you don't know where it is, in your Bible is a thing called a table of contents. Just look, get towards the end of the Old Testament, before the New Testament, a bunch of little books. They sound like a bunch of sneezes. Hey, guys, Zephariah, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Habakkuk. Mecca, 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 I don't know. There's, there's a bunch of names in there. You're like, ah, who are these people? They were prophets. They were uh, people of God who God spoke to. And Habakkuk was one of them, and he wrote this really small book. And I'm telling you, when you read that first chapter, those first few verses, you're like, did somebody just write this yesterday? Oh, it's amazing. So just to catch you up, here we go. We read about this prophet Habakkuk who complains to God about, to God about the lawlessness, the violence, the raging times, he's like, what is going on? And we're like, yeah, I can relate, I can relate. God says, I'll answer that. So here's my reply to your question, Habakkuk. I'm going to send in the Babylonians. They will wipe out all that, but of course it's going to get ugly when it happens because the Babylonians are much worse. So Habakkuk complains again. He's like, okay, God, (laughs) that's not the answer I was looking for. I complained, you replied. But with all fairness, God, I don't like your answer. You're sending in an ungodly nation to take care of a godly nation that's turned ungodly. And so he prays and says, okay, God, I don't get it, but can you help me out on this one? So God replies again. Here we are, chapter 2, God's second reply. He basically tells Habakkuk, while you're in your watchtower, this is from last week, while you're in your watchtower praying and listening for my return and how I'm going to respond, here's what I want you to hear from me, Habakkuk. So let's look at verse 2. We'll pick it up right there. 
the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. Their lives are crooked. But the righteous, they'll live by their faithfulness to God. Key verse. You might want to underline the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Verse 5. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouth as wide as a grave and like death are never satisfied. And in their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. Verse 6. But soon their captives will taunt them. They'll mock them saying, what sorrow awaits you thieves? Now you'll get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? Verse 7, suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside, and God filled the towns with violence. In this passage, in this first part, God basically says, I've got two paths for you, Habakkuk, while you're waiting here. There's the way of the godly and the ungodly, the right and just and those who are not. The first, we're going to call this the path of pride, is basically what he says. Pride is a universal sin. Church, everybody deals with pride. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, Where is it not to be found? Hunt among the highest and the loftiest in the world, you find it there. Search among the lowliest, the poorest, the most miserable, you'll find pride there. There may be as much pride inside a beggar's rags as in a prince's robes. And a harlot may be as proud as a model of chastity. Pride is a strange creature. It never objects to its lodgings. Is there any man in whose heart pride does not lurk? Couldn't have said it any better. Pride is everywhere. It lingers in the heart of every person. Pride even appears among the people of God. Oh yeah, even amongst us. There was once a man, John Bunyan, he preached an incredible sermon. And as John Bunyan comes down off of the pulpit after he just got done preaching, this gentleman comes up to him and says, you've done a fine job in preaching that message and John Bunyan replied to him, goes, I know, the devil already told me as I walked away from the pulpit. Satan can bring pride to the praying Christian and the praying Christian thinking, I'm such a good prayer. Satan can speak pride to the growing Christian and that growing Christian say, I'm growing so much in the Lord. Pride can come to the humblest of Christian people and say, man, I'm such a humble person for the Lord. Pride is everywhere. And we battle with it, right? That first path that God talks back about is the pride path right there. It is in front of you. Take it. You can take it if you want. It's marked out. Or you can take a path of the righteous. The righteous live by faith. The just live by faith. Faith looks out for what? Faith looks to God. Pride looks to self. The paths are obviously different. This brief statement, when you look at verse 4, 
a brief statement by the prophet Habakkuk, is one of the most important, most quoted uh, Old Testament statements brought back into the New Testament that is expanded upon in almost like multiple sermons. It's the just shall live by faith. Matter of fact, if you wanted to do a sermon series on it, you could spread them out this way. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 would be the commentary on the justified man. Who is that just man? What does it mean to be just? Galatians 3.11, where it says the just shall live by faith. You could talk about what it means to live continuously. Not one moment, but continuously. Hebrews 10.38 is the commentary on faith. The just shall live by faith. And faith is expanded upon in Hebrews. This is an incredible statement that Habakkuk makes that has really changed history. Martin Luther, the one that we talk about being uh, responsible for the Protestant Reformation, back in the day before all this took place, Martin Luther was this monk who went on a pilgrimage to Rome. He crossed the Alps, and when he crossed the Alps, he got deathly sick. And so he comes into a place where he's laying there, dying, praying that he lives. And what verse comes to mind is the just will live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And when he finally heals up, he continues his pilgrimage to Rome. And he was told by the Pope that if you go up this stairwell at St. John's Ladder, and it was presumed to be the stairwell that Pilate after he made his judgment on Jesus, Jesus walked that same stairwell and his blood that was from all of his scourging and whipping and was on that stairwell as well. As he, the Pope said, if you will go up this stairwell, and the way you did it was you got on your knees and you would go up the stairs on your knees. You wouldn't walk them knee by knee onto each step and you would kiss the step as you would put your knee on it. As you did this, the Pope said you would receive indulgence. And as Martin Luther was going up that stairwell, it was there he stopped halfway up and the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. By faith. Not by doing things. I do not get right with God by what I do. I get right with God by my faith. Martin Luther stood up, turned around, went down the stairwell, went back to Germany. And it was soon after that, what we know as the Protestant Reformation took place. Some Christians choose to live by their devotions. Some Christians choose to live by their work. Some Christians live by their feelings. Some Christians live by circumstances. We are told to live by our faith. Now, each of those things are meaningless and can be dangerous without faith. Faith with them is great, right? But we're called to live by faith, nothing else. As Christians, live by faith. If we are not choosing the path of faith, we are choosing the path of what? Pride. Oh, I can get my way to heaven. I can do this. I don't need God. No, no, we need God. We have our faith in God. Without our faith in God, we are left to who? To ourselves to find the way. That path of pride. God says, I want you to do a self-check. I want you to reflect on your life, Habakkuk. Habakkuk, are you greedy? Are you violent? Are your ways going the wrong direction? Are you worshiping false idols? Are you full of pride? Habakkuk, do a self-check. Or are you going to live by faith? Because everybody's going to have to go through this, including the Babylonians. 
oh, they're not going to get away with this. Let me tell you about the Babylonians. They'll be judged too. Look with me in verse 9. God goes on to say, what sorrow awaits you who build big houses and money gain dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger? But by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls crowd against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. You see, the wealthy built these fabulous homes, but they used the property of other people. They stole from them. They exhorted, and they got what they did. And God addresses the greedy man here. God addresses the greedy man and says, Oh, you're right for judgment. The greedy man did his best to protect himself, yet in all his defense, he could do nothing. Then God goes on to say, wait, I got another one of these that fits some of these Babylonians and people of today. He goes, verse 12, what sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will be burned to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the earth and the sea will be filled with the awareness of the glory of the Lord. The Lord was not only displeased with the greedy, he pronounced uh, uh, basically a woe against the violent. The violent man thinks in his might, he can get it right. He can get everything on his own gain by abusing others. As a correction and as a rebuke, the Lord reminded the violent man of God's triumphant victory. Verse 15, read on. What sorrow, here it comes again, there's a lot of what sorrow or woe. What sorrow awaits you who made your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shamefulness, wicked or shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment, and all your glory will be turned to shame. Verse 17. You cut down the forest of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals. So now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled your towns with violence. So. Through the prophet of Habakkuk, the Lord rebukes both the drunk and those who promote drunkenness. Though they thought that alcohol made them feel good, it really just brought shame instead of glory. Verse 18, he continues on. What good is an idol carved by man or cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow, there it is again, awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Having dealt with the greedy man, the violent man, the drunk, then God spoke to the idolater, those who have false gods that they worship. They treat inanimate objects as if they were alive. Verse 20, look at verse 20 again. But the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So in contrast to the lifeless idols, there is a very incredible God who is full of life. Through it all, all we just read, the point is proven. Habakkuk couldn't understand why God would judge a sinful nation, which is Judah, by the use of a worse nation, Babylon. Yet God reminded Habakkuk of his own wisdom and strength and ultimate triumph over the wicked. 
Habakkuk, I know you don't like what I told you. And I know you're complaining again. But understand this. I will also judge all these Babylonians. My eye does not miss what I see here. There are greedy people in life. Violent people. Drunken people. People who are worshiping false gods. I see it all. And they'll all be judged. So Habakkuk, will you live by faith? Or on your own pride that takes you down this path of all these things that I just listed. I strongly encourage you, live by faith, right? Live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And that is tough. That is tough. We can't do it alone. Church, listen very carefully. This is the basic gospel right here. This is why God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for us. First, he lived a, a perfect life, and then he died, and then he was resurrected from the dead. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He provides victory now. Amen? And as our beliefs as Christians, we believe that. Our faith is placed in a living God, not in what we do. My works don't get me to heaven. My baptisms don't get me to heaven. My kindness my prayer time, my devotion time does not give me up. It is by faith. By faith. Church, I want to encourage each of us right now. Right now, including myself, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. When you look around this world, when I look around this world, and all we see the things that we're seeing right now, whether it's a virus or whether it's violence, whether it's marriages struggling, whether it's, whether it's depression or loneliness or anger, it is fair for us to ask, as people of God, why is this happening, God? It's fair for us to ask. What are we going to do about it, God? That is fair to ask, because that's what Habakkuk did. And sometimes God allows things to happen for our discipline. Sometimes, and as adults, we know this, sometimes we make bad choices. We deserve punishment. We got the spanking. We got the belt. Some kids don't even know what a belt is, right? I know what timeout is. Timeout is what we did in football, you know? But we know what it means to be disciplined. Oh, we get corrected. Sometimes God has to correct his people. It happens. But church, listen to this. There is also another thing at work. It isn't like God always brings the things into your life to trip you up. Sometimes the devil does too. I don't want to give the devil credit for a lot of things, but he is our enemy. And he does things that disrupt our lives. 1 Peter 5a says, stay alert. Watch out for our great enemy. He didn't say, hey, watch out for that puny enemy. He's like a little kitty cat. You know, petty, and it purrs, right? No, he's like, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, not lick. Some of us treat the devil like he's like, oh, this cute little red dude with a pitchfork. No. He wants to devour us. He's like a nasty lion. He has tactics and tricks to trip us up. So we choose the wrong path. When we say the righteous live by faith or by pride, which leads to all these things. And for us as Christians sometimes, it's like this path doesn't look so bad. That's because Satan made it look really good. God says, choose the path. The righteous will live by faith. 
Now, I heard a different author and a different speaker, and they've used these terms, and I'm sort of pulling them together because this is exactly what's been on my heart. And when I heard them, I said, i got to share it. So these next few words were not on my own. I just want to make sure you understand that, um, but I full-heartedly agree to them. But here's what I want you to believe. I believe these are tactics of the devil right here. I put them up on the screen. These are tactics used by the devil. The first one is division. Please know that the enemy tries his best to divide us from God and divide us from each other. The word anxious literally means divided. A lot of us are anxious right now. We're divided, not just in our mind, but now we've become divided with friendship. Evil's doing a great job of dividing us right now. I'm going to say that right now. Social media, some of us that were good friends or acquaintances or somewhat friends, all of a sudden our opinion, another opinion of a person we thought was our friend has now divided us. And it creeps into the church. It creeps into other relationships. Our opinions have now divided us and they should never divide us. Some of you used to worship God and walk together in relationship are now not talking to each other. Because a coronavirus divided us. Because abortion has divided us. Because gender confusion has, a, has divided us. Racial tension has divided us. All these things have divided us, and it should not be. And it's like, you know, if we could just go back to the, the book of Acts, if we could go back to the first church, it would be awesome because we'd all get along, because all we did was pray together and we shared things with each other. And it was beautiful, right? Can I just share with you? The first century church had problems too. The apostle Paul wrote about it. He said this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Must have been a problem going on. Let there be no divisions in the church. Must have been division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of closed household, ooh, Paul calls her out. He's like, hey, a closed house? You know you are, Clo. You know what's going on there. You told me about the fighting that's going on. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others say, I'm a fo- I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow Christ. Church, let's not get divided on this. So for those of us like, oh, I wish we could just go back to the day. No, you don't. There was sin back in the day too. Now listen very carefully. I'm not saying our church is divided. We're not. I'm just, I guess I'm very protective right now. I want our church to not be divided. I want our church to be the light in the darkness. I want our church, and not just this church, every church in Fulton County, every church in Northwest Ohio, every church in Ohio, every church in the United States, every church globally, I want us to be on the same page and worship God in one. And not be divided. So I'll just start here with our church. Be aware of the tactics of the devil. Do not let him divide us. Be aware of discouragement. You know, you know what? The enemy knows. If he can't beat you on his own, he'll let you beat yourself up. He tries to discourage you so you will beat yourself up and give up. We don't give up because why? Because it's It's hard. We give up because we get discouraged. Understand that's a tactic. And here's another tactic, distortion. The enemy takes what is beautiful and plain and twists it. He distorts it. He takes truth and he is a liar and he changes it up. Our negative thoughts that we have are lies. They come from the liar, the father of lies himself, the devil. Fear is a liar. Your negative thoughts don't come from you. 
Your negative thoughts don't come from you. They don't come from God. Positive thought, negative thought. How many of us are going to choose a negative thought? Oh, I like to, I'm going to go negative today. No. If you had a choice between a positive and negative, most of us will choose positive. The only reason we're choosing negative is because maybe truth has been distorted and all of a sudden we fall prey to the negativity. Another tactic is doubt. The enemy plants seeds of doubt in our mind and for some reason we think, I'm not good enough. I'm not loved. He creates doubt because he doesn't want us to know our future and our purpose. God's got an amazing purpose for every one of you in here. An incredible future for everyone in here. And if he can derail you and cause you to doubt what he's going to have in plan for you, he wins. Here's the last one, distraction. I don't know if you heard this saying, if the devil won't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. You ever hear that one before? That's, that's, that's my, my rule right there. He'll get you to focus on all the things that don't matter so that you'll lose focus on the things that really do matter. He tries to distract you from what is our purpose and our mission. Church, I'll, so here's, here's where I'm going to be real with you about, about this, about a mask. I have an opinion like everybody else. My opinion is I'd prefer not to wear a mask. Okay? I don't have a medical condition. I don't have any good reason. I just don't like wearing it. It's my personal opinion. I don't have any conspiracy theories. I just don't like wearing it. So the first time I went into a store and I was told, you can't come in here unless you have a mask, I'll admit, I was mad. I grumbled all the way back to my car to, to one I had tucked away. Like, you know, and it's like sort of frustrated. Okay, that, that was me. Because I, if, you, if you're in sports, you understand this, this analogy. You're playing basketball, you're getting beat by 30 points, there's 30 seconds left in the game, it's way over. You know, please coach, why don't you put your scrubs in and not make us look even worse, right? And so I've got the ball, getting beat by 30 points, 30 seconds left, and the kid from the other team steals the ball and goes down and shoots a three-pointer just to put it in my face. It's like, really? You, I already feel defeated, you had to rub that in my face? That's how I felt about the masking, like, oh, um, I know you don't like winners, now you have to. I'm just rubbing it in my face, literally. Okay, and that's, that's sort of how I felt. Okay, that's how I felt. That's my opinion. Everybody clear on that? And because I felt that way, I didn't want to have church here. I'd say, I'd rather just go online. You can all watch me from home again. Because I really don't want to wear a mask. It's sort of selfish of me. You want to know why? What is my role as a Christian? What's the role of the church? This is where God was like, See, I always share with you guys what God does to me. It's not pretty sometimes. God reminded me the church's role is to worship God. To come and grow in fellowship and faith. And to share truth with this world. Church is not about me showing up and showing my individualism. Look at what I'm wearing today. Oh, look what song I'm singing. Listen how loud I can sing. Oh, look what, how I'm serving today. It's, it's not about me when I come to this church or any church. The church is a place to worship God, not everybody else. Church is a place where we grow in our faith. Church is where I realize I need to share my faith with a dying world. That's my role. That's our role. 
I got distracted from my role. This became a distraction. My silly opinion has distracted me from what I really should be focusing on. Due to my pride, it's easy without even knowing it to distract me from what God's called me to do. So church, I'm sharing my personal life with you right now. I don't know where you are in all this, but I want to ask you, have you been distracted lately from God's calling in your life? Have you faced discouragement or doubt? Has things been distorted? Have you been distracted in such a way that's like, you know what? I've sort of lost sight of what I'm supposed to be doing here. Have we become divided? I pray not. I want to show you a video. This is a young lady. She's going to talk about a gentleman by the name of Mark Cahill. You remember Mark Cahill came to our church many years ago. Um, I shared a story recently at camp. I just got this video two days ago. A young lady, she's going to be a senior in high school at Fairview High School. She sent me this video. She was at our camp last week. And I watched it. I'm going, thank you. It took a high schooler to remind me of our purpose in life. So we're going to show you this video, and uh, hopefully you'll be encouraged. Guys, it's Cassie Mavis, and I just wanted to share with you a quick message about the most powerful and challenging story I heard at FCA camp this year. So when you think of stories you hear at FCA, they're normally positive and uplifting and just all-around good things that you hear. But a story Rex Stump told us in our last chapel this year was a story that challenged every single person in the room. So before I start, let's just make it clear, this is a story Rex told us about a time that he had when he was, when they had a guest speaker come in. So this isn't my story, but here it goes. There was a basketball player that came to an FCA event as the keynote speaker and he was an evangelist and he shared the gospel everywhere. And what he said is he said, when he was in high school, he was a stud basketball player. He was good and everyone knew he was good. He was being recruited for D1, D2 colleges all around. He could go anywhere he wanted and he knew it. Until one, time, one day when he was in a car wreck, his head went through the windshield and he should have died. Miraculously, he survived. And what he did is he held up a notebook. He held up his school yearbook. And he said, these are the people in FCA. And he pointed them out and he could name them. And he said, this girl and this guy and this person. And he said, these are the people that are in FCA. And what's their job? Does anybody know FCA's mission? And he looks around the room and no one knew it. And so we asked again, do you know what FCA's job is? The job is to tell people what this, this Bible, their job is to share this with everybody. If I would have died in that car wreck, I would have gone to hell. I had no idea who Jesus was. I had no idea who God was. I had lived my life right. And it's FCA's job to show me who Jesus was. They said, you know what I think of FCA? They took it. And he dropped it. He said, they didn't do their job. They didn't show me who God was. I would have gone to hell. And this guy completely changed his life around. He did a 180 
and he shares the good news, he shares God with everybody. And it hit home because our FCA group, we have our really strong leadership team. When we get to the Friday meetings, sometimes there's not even everyone there. There's not even more people than who shows up for the leadership. And it reminded me that we're not here just to build up our team. That's important. We need our team, but we're sent to go out into the world. We're not sent to hide, un- hide our faith under a bushel basket. We're sent to shine it with the world. Who is that person today that if, they, if their head had crashed their windshield and if they died, who is that person that wouldn't know God? Romans, um, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. We talked about how important it is to love people. Don't just pretend, really love them. If you really love someone, you're going to care about how they spend eternity. If you really love someone, you will take this and somehow show it to them. And you know, I know it's hard. I mean, talking about God to other people, especially non-believers, it terrifies me. It terrifies me because you have to be vulnerable. But do you want someone who crash their head through a windshield, turn their life around and share God with everyone? Do you want him to hold up the FCA Bible and say, you know what I think of FCA and drop it? It's a challenge. Live boldly in your faith. Relentlessly pursue God and relentlessly love others. Because you never know when your faith might save someone else. So see, listen to God, pray and ask Who is that person that I need to talk to? Who is that person that I can show God to? And do it. Show God to them and help be be God's hand and feet and show them who Jesus is. I'm praying for all of you guys. I can't wait to see you guys again. And thanks for taking your time to listen to me. Cassie sent that to me and I was just blown away. I was like, you know, God's timing is amazing. That this scripture in Habakkuk 2, addressing what he's addressing, sort of lines up with what's going on in, in this world today. Again, lining up with, with what happened with Cassie's life. And just sort of like, thank you, Lord, because we need that reminder. We need that reminder. It's not just about gathering and strengthening our team here. It's about reaching others for Christ. And I feel like what's going on in this world right now is, well, let's put it back up on the screen. It is dividing us, discouraging us, distorting us, doubting, and it is distracting. And worship team, come on up. And I would say this, cross all those out. I would encourage you, instead of being divided, let's focus on love and unity. Instead of being discouraged, let's be the encourager. Instead of distorting the, the, the truth, let's find our focus and let's focus on God and trust him instead of doubting. And the last one, that distraction, we got to speak truth. we got to speak truth. Church, what is our role here? To... To have an opinion about this world and violence and, and diseases and everything that's going on. We all have got opinions. That's okay. But I want to encourage us as a church. Let's not lose sight of what we are called to do as a church. 
to gather together to worship God, to share His love, the salvation of His Son, Jesus Christ, with others. We can easily get distracted and forget our role. I want to encourage you, stay focused. Stay focused with me. Help me stay focused if you want. But together, I love where our our church is at right now, but we should not be satisfied. And we got to make sure we don't slip back. And we got to pray not just for our church, but all churches across America. We need that. My hope, my hope is that we choose the path of righteousness. Let me give two, two, two words, and I'm going to close this. God wins. God wins. Isn't that good news? God wins. God wins. Would you please stand? Because God wins, we can choose the path of righteousness to live by faith, knowing that we serve a loving God, a victorious God. You got this, church. We got this. We're going to be okay. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you for the words to Habakkuk that just reminded him, we've got a choice to live by faith or live by our pride. And pride takes us down a path that gets ugly. Whether it's violence, it's greed, whether it's indulgence, whether it's worshiping false things, our pride can take us the wrong way. But living by faith takes us in a way that honors you. God, I pray that everyone in this room today chooses to live by faith. And God, as we live by faith, let us be alert to the enemy. And how the enemy wants to just divide us and distract us, cause us to doubt, to distort. God, we don't want any part of that. We want to live a truth. You are God. And we will get through this. We will get through this because you are a God that we can trust. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.